North Untapped is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith has assured everyone, once again, that she has done nothing wrong. Last week, CBC News reported that a staffer in Smith's office had sent, quote, a series of emails to the Alberta Crown Prosecution Service last fall, challenging its direction on cases involving members of the Coutts border blockade that took place early last year. If true, this would amount to a serious act of interference with the independence of the courts. The news came after Smith backtracked on previous comments she had made on the record about contacting Crown prosecutors regarding COVID-related prosecutions. Following the CBC report, Smith announced a public service review examining emails sent between her office and the prosecutor. On Monday, that review, which took place over the course of just one weekend, found no such emails. The government stated, quote, No further review will be conducted unless additional evidence is brought forward. But critics have argued that an independent investigation ought to take place, since Smith is essentially the head of the civil service body which reviewed her office's emails and should encompass messages sent from private, non-government email addresses. Meanwhile, CBC's head of public affairs stood behind its original story, though the broadcaster later updated the piece to admit that they had not reviewed the alleged emails. So what to make of all this? I'm Alex Kosh, Managing Editor of The Maple, and this week I'm pleased to be joined again by independent journalist Jeremy Appel and Press Progress reporter Stephen Maguziak. Welcome back to the show, guys. Great to have you on. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, great to be here, as as always. Uh, so the last time we, all three of us, were on this show, we were it was actually in person. I was in Calgary uh, last summer, and we were discussing... Uh, who was then Alberta UCP leadership candidate, Danielle Smith. Now, at that time, uh, I was considering moving to Alberta. And in the time that's elapsed since then, I'm moving to Alberta at the end of this month. Uh, and Smith is in hot water, potentially. Is it possible that by the time I end up moving to your province, Smith is no longer premier? What are the chances of that? I I would say absolute zero. I, I don't think there's anything here that would uh, be a game ender for her between now and I think you're moving in like a week. Yeah, I mean, it's too close to an election. Like, I can't think of a scenario where they would turf her rather than wait until the election and then do that after if they don't win. But I think she has a better chance of winning than a lot of people assume. I would agree. And also there's are indeed signs of disloyalty or I guess dissent within caucus that are, I think, for the most part behind the scenes at this point. I don't think there's a lot of appetite to have a leader shake up this close to an upcoming election. And her, I agree, Jeremy, her chances are, I think, significantly better than people realize. The caucus loves Smith because... Uh, you know, she does her, her thing. You know, she's tr- she's a libertarian, right? She does her thing. She lets her caucus do theirs. She's was going out doing her whole oh, va- vac- unvaccinated people are the most persecuted people uh, of my lifetime. Walked it back a bit, and then just pivoted to other issues that that the caucus is uh, in agreement on, like giving these like means tested minimal payments for people to deal with inflation and, uh, you know, attacking the federal government. I mean, that's a huge theme 
for Alberta premiers, like going back to William Aberhart, was that 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 there's this like external threat to us coming from Eastern Canada, and they're trying to control us and and, and our resources, and we need to remain you know firm and and, and self reliant. I think there are, like when I said earlier that there are signs of some dissent within caucus, I was actually uh, referring to the CBC piece, which I'm sure we're going to get to more in detail, but uh, they specifically refer to tension. They say there is tension between Justice Minister Shandra and the Premier's office, um, court, like they report multiple un, uh, unnamed sources that are close to it. Well, I do believe, yes, there is such a tension, like he's trying to create some sort of a distance between his ministry and the office of the premier yeah this won't be anything that would ever lead to her downfall before election day so for the benefit of our listeners who haven't been following this story over the past week or so can we give us uh, a quick timeline of how we got to this point like why did people start asking questions about smith's interference with the crown prosecutor and then when did this story break well, Smith has herself uh, said on multiple occasions, <laughs> including in the interview with uh, you know Ezra Levant, notoriously great guy, that she has been in talks with Alberta's crown prosecutors and has asked them if there are any ways they can like uh, drop these charges. I, I don't believe she was speaking specifically about the Coots blockade. I think she was talking more stuff like people who got fined for refusing to wear a mask. You know, people who uh, were, you know, like Arthur Pavlovsky, who was jailed for like repeatedly defying uh, public health orders and encouraging other people to do so. Um, I, you know, I think that's what, uh, she had in mind. Uh, well, yeah, she had questioned whether the cases were in the public interest and if there was any point pursuing it, or if there's a reasonable likelihood of convention or if everyone's just kind of moved on and it's time to forgive and forget. I think her exact words, she says, I've put it to prosecutors and I've asked them to do a review of the cases with those two things in mind. And I'm hopeful that we'll see a true turning of the page. And then she later uh, walked back those comments. Is that is that right? Yes. Um, she then she basically she'd personally ta- quite brazenly talked about uh, contacting the the prosecutors, and then went on to denying that she said or did anything of the sort. Yeah, she said what she actually meant. She said I believe she said her language was imprecise, but what she meant was that she contacted the justice minister, contacted him to do what. And the justice minister, it's worth noting, as we record, is actually uh, having a law society hearing to see whether um, he loses his license because he allegedly obtained uh, contact info of uh, doctors early in COVID when he was the health minister to like yell at him. And of course, he infamously showed up at his neighbor, who is a physician's driveway to uh, scream at him because he dishonored his wife. So Smith walked back her comments or, you know, as she would say, she she tried to clarify them. And then this CBC story drops last week. Now, what what was new about this story, I guess? And and did it kind of confirm her earlier comments? Like, what, how did this play into it? But the CBC story was based on an unnamed source close to the case that uh, said that she had indeed been in contact with the Crown prosecutors, which she denies. She says her, her office uh, absolutely has not been in contact with them. What ended up getting updated in the story is that CBC noted they actually had not seen the emails. And... This is kind of where it gets a little bit tricky because we have Smith basically talking about making these contacts and then denying it. 
now we have CBC saying that they didn't see the emails. Not that there's any reason I would say to doubt their reporting, but it kind of leaves you wondering what they did have to verify the story. And Porter, you kind of hope that they can come through with additional receipts. Otherwise, it feels like we're just kind of in a situation where the far right's going to have reason to point at the CBC and decry the mainstream media. But in terms of like what the original story said, so it, it revealed that there was correspondence between Smith's office and... Uh, the Crown Prosecutor. So was this just kind of basically confirming what people suspected based on her earlier comments to the rebel? Or is this like something on top of that, I guess? More or less, I think what it added was that they had a source basically verifying that it was true. They reached out to the um, prosecutor attached to all 12 cases at Coots and asked and didn't get a response. So yeah, right now we're sitting in a situation where there's just a lot of question marks and who knows where it goes from here. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting because I, I found this pretty extraordinary is that the CBC later had to clarify the story to say they haven't actually seen these emails, that they were just told about them. Now, uh, the reporter at CBC, Megan Grant, great crime reporter, you know, I trust her judgment, especially uh, when compared with uh, that of Danielle Smith and uh, her allies. But it did strike me as very odd that you would go ahead with a story about emails that weren't leaked to you, right? It was just someone told you that they exist. And again, I, I don't think Megan Grant would report it if she wasn't like very confident that those emails exist. But, um, as, you know, as Stephen suggested, I mean, that's it, it, it's already being used by the defund the CBC crowd to say, oh, look at this. It's fake news. They're making up uh, these emails that don't exist. And I guess we could talk about the uh, the the um, the review that found these emails don't exist in some of its uh, limitations. Yeah, I just want to say that, like, take back Alberta, that group and their telegram is kind of treating this as a victory lap, which is. Yeah, kind of indicative of why it's kind of a problematic situation. I mean, what, whoever their source was, I guess I do believe that this was a truly credible source. Yeah, I mean, I can guarantee they didn't fucking make that up because they wouldn't. They're they're professionals, right? <laughs> it's just, did they get taken uh, for a ride? I, you know, I my inclination is to suggest that's not the case. But I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm open to it. I'm open to it. I'm certainly no fan of the CBC, but I uh, do hold that reporter in high regard. So before we get to the the internal review that was announced, I want to just start by asking, like, to, to kind of backtrack to Smith's original comments and kind of like, you know, showboating to these right wing media outlets saying like, yep, I've been uh, I've been out there fighting the good fight with the crown prosecutor. Can you just like give us some context uh, as to the politics behind this? Like, why would she go ahead and say that on the record? I have some thoughts on that. Okay, so Danielle Smith is not like a process nerd like Kenny. Like she seemed unaware of how things work and where the lines are in the past. I, I believe at one point she talked about doing pardons, like American president and some U.S. governor style um, for the nonviolent offenses around COVID measures. Yeah, that was so good. And she was like, actually, it turns out uh, that our legal system is different from America's and I can't do that. But as the um, the uh, law professor, uh, Lauren Hardcastle, uh, told Global News in a story about that uh, backtrack that actually she can like it, it would be highly unusual, but she can just pass a law. Uh, pardoning people, the federal government does it. Um, you know, they the federal government does it, and again, it would be unusual for a province to do it, but there's nothing stopping them from. So, even, so she's twice misunderstood what 
the 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 law is which is just you know incredibly on brand and yeah like when i said she isn't a process nerd like kenny like i'm not saying kenny didn't do all kinds of things to sort of exert power but he at least would have had the sense to do it surreptitiously or others would maybe exert this sort of pressure on behalf on his behalf but then here's smith just coming right out and saying like she said at one point that she's actually called groups that receive government money ask them to drop fax requirements which kind of a little bit quiet up quiet part loud there like contacting citizens to influence their decisions just sort of outright saying it and in terms of uh you know kind of shall we say subpar legal advice that seems to be uh, reaching smith i mean we saw this i guess with the sovereignty act which uh i don't know like do you guys think she just uh past that thinking it would be fine or was she aware of like how cartoonishly unconstitutional this piece of legislation was because i guess that speaks to a similar issue of like not understanding how the machine works yeah i think it would be more in her style for it to be the former where she just uh kind of probably didn't understand she has a tendency to act and talk without actually thinking things through a whole ton and then backpedaling that i I mean that's classic smith right like even even uh by her own admission she's like i don't really have a bullshit filter right and we don't know what exactly happened or if it happened the way uh we've been told it happened but i mean she said she was gonna do it not about this case in particular but she said she was gonna so um i don't know i think that circumstantially suggests that when there's a uh staffer uh taking risk to talk to media and tell them yeah this happened again i i i think it probably did and yeah i'm wondering i i, I agree i think it probably did i guess the problem we're in now is like becomes a question of who this source is i mean this person would probably be in a lot of trouble if it were to be revealed that they were leaking and so it kind of seems like the whole situation is sitting at a bit of an impasse. So the assurance we got was that they had uh, assessed uh, a million emails sent and received from the premier's office. They, they reviewed it in the course of a weekend, taking one for the team, taking uh, time to, to do this really important work and, and no doubt very thorough and exhaustive work. Uh, what, what have been some of the, the problems that have been raised about this reports uh, or this investigations conclusions no i'm absolutely impressed that they managed to get through a million emails in just two days uh i suppose they must have just done a command f or a keyword search in their microsoft outlook to <laughs> yeah that's what i would have done i think the people working for smith and smith herself would be smart enough not to use their government email for something like this like i think they would be smart enough to know that this is um, if not illegal, like highly uh, unusual and inappropriate. And so I think they would probably have the sense to use their personal emails, which of course weren't searched. It was only gov.ab.ca uh, emails. So of course came up, oh, there are no emails. Oh, the CBC is making this up. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's kind of like one of the oldest tricks in the book, you know, since we've had like email and, uh, you know, FOIP and all that, it's like, just conduct all illegal activity through your personal email. Yeah. And I guess the theory that this was um, done through a staffer kind of tracks here because Smith says that uh, a premier can't just reach out to the judicial system to try and influence the outcome of cases. And she said, everybody knows that somewhat unconvincingly. I'm not convinced that she would have known that. So one of her staffers, perhaps. I, I think she would have. I like I first of all, I, I think she would have had the sense to not do it herself, right? I think we agree on that, that she sent a staffer to do so. But I also think that she would have also had the sense to tell them not to do it through their government email or the staffer 
uh, more, more likely would have the sense to be like, yeah, this is probably not something that should uh, be able to come up easily in a search. And I, I don't know about the what the process is like for 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 uh, uh, searching like personal emails because it's their personal emails. Like you'd have to, I mean, if it's a Gmail account, I guess you'd probably have to, you know, get like a court order for Google to hand it over, but who's going to do that? Someone would have to initiate that process and the premier is not going to do that. If So uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, we'll have to wait and see if the NDP wins the election, but I suspect everyone will have forgotten about it by then and the NDP would have other priorities like getting pipelines built or... Uh, you know, something, uh, you know, uh, raising the minimum wage 50 cents. <laughs> when we first spoke about, as I mentioned at the top, the the, the person who was then a, a UCP leadership candidate, Danielle Smith, we talked about this kind of strategy, I guess, or at least this kind of focus on Smith being crazy, incompetent, extreme, saying all kinds of like uh, wacky and inadvisable things. And Jeremy, I think the way you put it is that this would have diminishing returns in terms of tarnishing the UCP's brand electorally. Are we seeing that play out in real time here? I would say so. I don't see this becoming an election issue by any means. I mean, it, it just casts yet another hmm, sort of like shady sort of uh, angle to this government, but not one that I, don't, that I think would have a measurable, meaningful impact on people's opinions of her. I mean, whose mind is being changed about Danielle Smith over this? Yeah, I mean, that's true. If you didn't like her, it's a bit of, it's a Rorschach test because of all the unknowns. It's like, if you didn't like Danielle Smith already, you're going to be like, yeah, obviously she's lying. Um, I mean, she said she was going to do this and then it came out that she did it and she's like, no, no, I didn't. What do you mean? I, 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 I mean, I talked to the justice minister about the possibility of maybe I didn't do that. Um, and then if you liked Danielle Smith, you'd be like, oh yeah, it's the fake news CBC, uh, you know, just making up stories for fun. I, I mean, I think like so many of these things, it's just become partisan. It's just viewed through a partisan lens, right? Like either you're NDP or UCP, right? So either, and then your view of this would uh, correspond to either one of those parties. It would take a major new development for, I think, for this to actually really stick into going into any sort of an election it, it would take receipts that i who knows if we're going to see anything else from this right and I, I guess it also like you guys have said a couple of times it reinforces this uh narrative of uh smith against the uh quote-unquote you know fake cbc that all these people want defunded anyway and that plays right into you know, what she seems to be doing in terms of shaping the narrative of the next election as being Alberta versus Ottawa rather than Smith v. Notley. So, yeah, do you think this will just kind of like strengthen the, the, the brand that she's trying to build and the narrative she's trying to build going into the next election? Well, I mean, like, yeah, we've talked about how, yeah, it certainly is just going to give the far right uh, opportunity to be like, oh, CBC didn't even see the emails, fake news, CBC, and like railing against the mainstream media as a recurring theme we've seen from Smith and her supporters like Preston Manning as well as Take Back Alberta, Alberta Proud and the various groups that have been kind of mobilizing behind her. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see this as it stands right now. I don't see this as a big setback. I think the chances of next election going NDP, I'd say 55-45. Like I think it's a bit in the NDP's favor 
but not a lot. And I think uh, Smith, you know, I think once she starts going out there and talking to people and, you know, she's very charming and likable, you know, because most people, you know, I was thinking about this recently, most people aren't like us, right? They, they don't vote based on who they think has the best policies or most evidence-based policies through like rigorous analysis. They vote based, they vote based on vibes, Right, the kind of vibes the 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 leader gives you, and I I mean Smith is a really good communicator. I mean that was her, you know, um, there. That's one reason she's had success, such success in the media. The other is, of course, that she says the things that people in charge of media outlets want to hear. I don't see this having uh, an impact on the election either way, because while the election is close it's still in like five months, right? So I I mean, that's relatively close, right? That's like less than the eighth of uh, the, 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 you know, term remaining, but it's also, you know, in politics, five months, very long time. But yeah, I mean, I do think Smith needs something to, to, to give, to move things in her direction because, uh, you know, the base loves her, right? All the people she got to come back to the UCP, to support her because she was like, I'm never going to do anything about COVID again. This plays well with them, right? But, and it plays poorly with people who are going to vote NDP anyways. It's just getting out people who don't really think about these things often to vote for one candidate or another. I mean, that's really uh, what it's about at the end of the day. And I don't see this motivating anyone who isn't already going to vote to do so. Yeah, I mean, the rural base that despised Kenny is very much in the tank for Smith, thanks to some hardworking allies. I also want to point to the not insignificant force that's mobilized behind her, mostly rural, founded by a Christian homeschool guy, Take Back Alberta. And it's like just the success of this group in kind of taking over the party. They credit themselves with uh, initiating the leadership review. They credit themselves with showing up in numbers at the UCP uh, AGM convention to... uh, have smith elected and they also managed to take over half the ucp board like they got eight out of nine board members that were up for election it was their guys that got in or their people rather and right now they're focusing their energy on kind of taking over the party at the constituency level and recently kind of amusingly took over jeremy or jason nixon's i always get the nixon's mixed up jason nixon's uh rimbley rocky mountain house uh constituency association board which means they could trigger a review and this was credited to tim hoven who had previously tried to challenge jason nixon but the party disqualified him due to some unnamed website that he had been following with white nationalist ties quote unquote so yeah now hoven has successfully led some sort of a movement to replace that entire board it's getting interesting like we're seeing this group kind of lead the d kennyification i guess of the ucp in favor of smith groups like take back take back alberta like do they have any appeal in like you know riding rich calgary for example or like you know do they have any real sway there we're we're in phase three of their plan to defeat the socialists in their words and they seem to be at this point mostly just focusing on rural ridings and outside of the major cities like saint albert because in in an interview with with Rick Bell, who's sort of this like goofy Calgary Sun columnist, who's like he's like a conservative, but he, he you know he calls out his own side when he doesn't think they live up to to the standards. I I, I kind of have a soft spot for Rick, but in in the same interview, she straight up said, "Look, I'm not trying to win every seat, Edmonton, 
forget about it. Most of Calgary, she was like, forget about it. Just like South Calgary, right? Like the suburbs and shit. Like we're pure polyevery. Yeah, but I'm talking about in like the deep south where, you know, where, you know, all the developers are like playing around and building these like insane new communities that shouldn't exist. Like she she's focused on there, but like, like, I, I don't think she cares about holding on to uh, Calgary Center, uh, for example, which was Doug Schweitzer's riding. In fact, I think Barry Murray Sheeta the Alberta party leader runs in that riding, uh, he could win because it was previously represented by Greg Clark, who was the leader of the Alberta party um, back when the Alberta party actually had a seat. Uh, well, interesting to to consider these <laughs> many electoral questions surrounding this. So it seems like this scandal is uh, dead for now, I guess. Would that be the, the fair assessment here? Barring some big new developments, smoking gun proof that there was indeed contact between the premier's office and the prosecutors. That's kind of my feel. That, that definitely seems to to be the, the way it's been left uh, in the news right now as well. Well, we'll be having more of these conversations, I'm sure. We'll have to arrange some uh, electoral uh, coverage uh, nearer the time. Uh, guys, thanks very much for joining us today. Do you want to remind listeners where they can uh, follow and uh, find your work? Sure. Um, you can find my work at pressprogress.ca. Sign up for our newsletter. Sign up for Shift Work, which is, I believe, the only source, the complete source of labor news in Canada. And you can find me on Twitter at Maguziak, M-H-E-U-S-I-A-K. You should subscribe to my newsletter uh, called The Orchard. Um, every subscription will go towards making uh, Sylvain Charlebois very mad. So uh, if you're not a fan of his, uh, sign up. If you are a fan of his, uh, you should also sign up and tell me why I'm wrong. Um, I can also be found at on twitter.com at jeremyappel1025, uh, also known as The Rude Professor. Uh, so yeah, check me out there. Awesome. Thanks, guys. And uh, yeah, speak soon.